Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. If you have been coming here for the last couple of weeks and months, you know that we've been tracking along the epistles of John, First uh, John, Second John, and now today we uh, will be looking at the third epistle of John. So if you have your Bibles, I'll be grateful if you would turn to the third epistle of John. And when you're there, you can say amen. I think I'm going to have to say that again. And when you're there, you can say amen. All right, okay. You're there. Amen. And as you're there, I will be reading from the New King James today. But before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, truly, um, we thank you for another opportunity, Lord, to gather together as your people. Lord, just um, having that opportunity just to corporately, collectively sing praises to your name, Lord. To worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, it's a privilege um, where we can sing words like majesty. Your grace, Lord, your unmerited favor has found us just where we are, (laughs) just why I am empty-handed, but Lord, (laughs) alive in your hands. Wow. That's amazing, Lord. And we thank you for that. It's a privilege. And so, Lord, as we humbly come to your word today, um, the simple prayer, Lord, is that you would breathe upon your word, that you would use me, Lord, as a vessel just to communicate your truths, Lord, but your word will go forth in power, Lord. It would affect lives, it would affect, affect hearts, affect minds, Lord. And that ultimately, Lord, the goal is, is that we'd be more like you, more like Jesus, And so, Lord, um, have your way today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the third epistle of John. And um, I'm not very good at this, but I've given this message a title, which is A Life Given to Ministry. So, if you're taking notes, I'm going to try to feed that in and thread it into the message somehow. It may sound a little bit repetitious, but pray for me. Amen. The third epistle of John, as we read it, is the most personal of the three letters which the apostle had written. But it still has that central theme of the other two letters, which is the encouraging believers to, to hold on to sound scriptural truth. And not only just to hold on to sound scriptural truth, but okay, I know truth, what do I do with it now? I need to start walking within that truth. And so John is writing these letters to encourage believers to hold on to truth and to walk into this truth, in this truth. A little bit of the background of the letter is that John is an old man. He's probably into his 90s now. And the message of the the gospel was spreading rapidly throughout the Greco-Roman Empire. 
And as it was spreading, obviously, if you can picture it, there wasn't universities, there wasn't colleges, there wasn't churches. And so what was happening was that house churches were springing up all over the place. Believers were meeting from house to house, from city to city. And as they were doing this, traveling missionaries, traveling preachers was increasing also. And as they were traveling, they would seek accommodation from fellow believers, from other Christians. And the problem which had arisen was that as these traveling preachers were going about from city to city, from town to town, from village to village, they were not all singing from the same song sheet. They were not all declaring the true message of the gospel. And this is why when we were reading in, you know, um, well, the whole of First John sort of like is addressing that issue. But in Second John, we're in verse 7, you know, he warns against deceivers, being aware of deceivers who are going about preaching a different message. In Second John verse 10, you know, John warns against letting people who are not, teaching the true gospel into your house and so he's addressing these issues and as he's addressing these issues he wants to also encourage those as I said who were opening up their homes for these traveling missionaries to be encouraged to encourage those people who were giving of themselves in this manner but also he's writing this letter because you know if you're a missionary, you're out in the field, you need to be encouraged. Sometimes it's a lonely place to be. It may be just you. It may be just you and your family who could be the only believers in an, in, 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 in an area. And to receive letters of encouragement, to, to receive words of encouragement is only going to be better for you. And so John sees the need for this. And so he writes these letters. And ultimately, what he wants, you know, those who are opening up them ho their homes or those who are missionaries to do is to hold on to this sound apostolic doctrine. And so he writes this letter. And it's interesting because, um, just doing a word count, 315 words in this epistle, focusing on three different people for two different reasons. So John writes, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. Because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but... Diotrephes, 
who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from, from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and, paper, pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. It's a lovely letter. And as we see from his opening verse, um, like the second epistle, John doesn't write his name in verse one, but simply addresses himself as the elder. And this automatically indicates that this letter is coming from a position of authority and leadership. So, as you've just heard it, and the original hearers and readers of this letter, when they, when they read this letter, they knew that it wasn't coming from some random person. It wasn't coming from someone who they've never ever heard of. But this letter carried weight. And you, if we really think about it, John being in his 90s, you know, we could say that he was probably the only surviving member of the Lord's disciples. And when we look at this, we think that, John, you're in your 90s and you're still encouraging. You're still writing letters. And you see, I just thought about it. I thought, well, again, it's just evident of John's life given to the ministry of the gospel. It's a wonderful testimony. And, you know, when we think about these things, when we reflect back on our lives, we want, we, we want to be in a place where we think, my life was given over for the gospel. And that's really the thrust of, you know, the background of really where I want to share with you today. It's a life given for the gospel. And as John writes this, you see, his authority, him showing an, an, his authority will be important because he's going he's gonna to have to address issues within the church. And so if the letter was coming from some random person, you know, it wouldn't hold any weight. But coming from John, it should have held weight. And so John addresses the letter to a brother called Gaius. He says, the beloved Gaius. And obviously, he's the first person we're going to consider in our text today. And with the um, subheading I've put there of the Christ-centered Gaius. To the beloved Gaius, and John adds, whom I love in truth. So straight away, we should get the tone of this letter, which is being written from this motivation of love. You know, John's genuine love and desire to care for and encourage this brother in the faith. 
And John is going to use this word beloved four times in this short epistle here. So you can, you can just get the sense of he's communicating his love towards him. So John writes, whom I love in truth. And it's a very interesting phrase. And John uses this specifically because truth is the only foundation which our relationships in Christ can be built upon. You know, the truth of who Jesus is. The truth of what Jesus actually means to us. The truth of what Jesus has done for us and the things he's done for us what we could not do for ourselves. The truth of what Jesus actually expects from us because we are his children. The truth that we believe in a savior who will one day return for his bride, return for his church. John loves Gaius in truth. And so when we read this, we see that the basis of John's relationship with Gaius was not a social one. It was not a cultural basis for his relationship. It wasn't based on ethnicity, on gender. It was simply based on a love in truth. And you know, it's an interesting point for me anyway, because inadvertently we can find that we can fall into the trap or forming relationships or forming friendships with people, with others, on the basis of we like the same things. We dress the same way. We like the same food. We like the same sport. That's a good one for guys. We like football, and so we could have this good banter with each other. Oh, your team lost. <laughs> we form relationships based on these things which don't hold weight, really. We probably find that we may come together with each other and more than speak about chapter and verse, we speak about, oh, what film did you watch the other night? What have you been doing? Have you seen this? Have you looked at that? Have you tried making this meal? And don't get me wrong, these are not bad things. But these things are not the basis for which John is saying, I'm forming my relationship with Gaius. It doesn't seem to be the biblical essence. The biblical essence is, I love you in truth. I love you because you love Jesus. I love you because you love Jesus. I love Jesus. And our life has meaning. It has purpose. Which goes beyond just what we like about each other. Or what we don't like about each other. Can I get a witness? See, that's the point John is making. That is the only solid foundation of which we really, which will hold us together. When we've stopped talking about cars or clothes, what holds us together? You see, I'm sure it's in Malachi where there's a book of remembrance being written about every conversation we have with Jesus. There's somebody in heaven. And 
making an account of every conversation we, ha- we have where we're just talking about the Lord. And isn't that interesting? And obviously, you know, not getting down on anyone, but we can find ourselves talking about so many other things apart from talking about the Lord, apart from encouraging one another in the Lord, apart from saying, do you know what? I read this verse this morning and it blessed me so much. John says, Gaius, I love you in truth. And it's a challenge for all of us so that we can also you know, replicate that because we're children of God, to love one another in truth. And so we may have hurt each other, we may have disappointed each other, but do you love Jesus? Does your brother or sister love Jesus? Can you forgive them? Can you move on? Because if you can, that's evidence of loving in truth. And that's, that's what God expects from his children. And so, to love in truth, let's move on. In verse two, John writes, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So, for the second time, we see that John calls Gaius beloved and he openly prays for him because, you know, John's heard all these wonderful reports about Gaius that he was maturing spiritually and he just wanted to bless him. John just wanted to bless him and let him know that he's praying for him and he's praying for him on a regular basis. And so as we read this verse, we have to observe John's prayer because again, for me, it's interesting to see the order in which he prayed because the order in which he prays suggests that the fundamental element that John prayed for was, was for Gaius' continuous spiritual growth. John sort of like writes back to front as we read it because his hope is that Gaius will grow spiritually. You see, he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. So your soul is prospering and I'm hoping and I'm praying that these other things are gonna now catch up and attach themselves to you as well. They may, they may not. But the important thing is, are you growing spiritually? When we pray, we pray, Lord, we pray for this and we pray for that and it's interesting and it's good, but... We may pray for healing. We may get healing. We may not get healing. But within that, are we growing spiritually? Because that's the important thing. Amen? Amen. You see, the spiritual element of our prayers is the important thing. And again, it's like, When I think about how I pray, let me just put myself in in the target here. I don't necessarily put my spiritual well-being at the forefront of my prayers. When I'm petitioning the Lord, it's like, Lord, I've had this situation or, you know, can I pray for this, Lord? 
Lord, this is happening. Lord, protect my son, you know, help him to have a good day at school. Be with my wife, you know, give us wisdom. It, it's like you start praying for these things and it isn't necessarily, it's, it's, it's for needs and it's for wants as opposed to, Lord, help me to grow within you. Help me to die to self. Help me to put this flesh under subjection. Lord, I have a stinking attitude towards this person and that person. Lord, help me. I don't know how to get by this thing, Lord. Can you help me? Lord, I need to be more like you. I don't know how to be more like you. Lord, please help me. I don't know. That's me. It's just me, yeah? That's how we need to be praying. Lord, I need to grow. Lord, I don't want to just be on Farley's Rusk anymore. Milk. Lord, I need to start chewing up this meat of your word. So it isn't just edifying me and my spiritual man isn't just being built up. Lord, but it's just not about me. It's about my brother and about my sister. Lord, help me. How do I do this? Help me not to be so consumed with me that I'm more consumed with you. Lord, you see, John just flips it. He can see that Gaius has a life given over to ministry, given over to the gospel. And there's that encouragement for us too. Spiritual growth. It's necessary, it's important because there's a dying world out there who needs to hear what we have to say, the message of the gospel. And it doesn't just need to hear it, it needs to see evidence. Oh, you say one thing, but are you living it? Do you live what you say? So in verse three, he says, for I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. You see, you see the testimony here? You see, can we see this life given over to the ministry, given over to the gospel, given over to the Lord? You see, Gaius knew the truth. He understood the truth. He was conforming to the, to the truth and he was conforming into Christ's likeness. He was walking in the truth. And it just, this is so blessed, the Apostle John. And verse four, you know, I think this, this verse is like the key verse of the, the whole letter, but he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He has no greater joy. From John's vantage point, again, being an old man who had solely given his life over to the ministry, you know, he could see that another generation was arising. Another generation was being established and walking in truth and giving themselves to the ministry. And for him, that was his greatest joy. That is what he lived for. For in his older age to see that the baton of the gospel was being preserved, that is being handed over to another generation. 
And so, we are all evidence of that message being preserved, being handed over. It's, it, you could say John was looking, you know, he, he's thinking, I'm, I just want to look through the corridors of time and see that the message was being preserved. With brothers like Gaius, with brothers like Demetrius, who we're going to go on to see. It was his greatest joy. And, you know, if we could pause for a moment, you know, the, a, a question here is, you know, if we really honestly asked ourselves the question, what is our greatest joy? Could we honestly say that our greatest joy is in doing whatever we can for the sake of the gospel? You know, is our greatest joy in, say, reading God's word? You know, do we have the attitude of, you know, we've had a hard day's work at work, not a hard day's work. That song just came into my head. (laughs) A hard day at work. And we can't wait, it's dark, it's raining and everything. And all we're thinking is, I can't wait to get home to read my Bible and spend some time with the Lord. Ooh! Is that our greatest joy? Okay. I know what it is. It's praying, you know. Our greatest joy is, you know what, Lord? Oh, I've got five minutes. I can just go into my, my prayer closet and just pray to the Lord. That's my greatest joy. Can't wait for it. Amen? That's our greatest joy. All right then. I definitely got it now. Our greatest joy is evangelism. Lord, show me the person. I can't wait to share the gospel. That's, yeah? Wow. You know, if we really ask ourselves the question, where, 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 what is our greatest joy? Where would, that, where, where would we say that really is? I mean, you don't have to throw it out and answer. That's, that's for you to take home. But where would we say it is? Surfing the net, finding bargains on eBay. You young ones, or maybe some of you old ones, banging out GTA, banging out FIFA 15, 14, whatever it may be. Some of you guys, I know, I know. Is our greatest joy in, you know, fashion, sports? I mentioned sports before. Is it in education? You know, nothing wrong with these things. Again, I'm not trying to say these things are bad, but what place do they hold in your life? John's greatest joy was to see the fervorance of the gospel. And I'm just humbly suggesting, and I'm challenging myself as well, that that should factor very high in our greatest joy levels as well. So some of us are going to have to change our joy levels. Some of us are going to have to refocus. Some of us are going to have to change our ambitions and our priorities. Just 
those mid-course corrections so that really our, our, our greatest joy is lining up what we say we believe in. Amen. What we actually say we live for. You know, so it actually matches up with majesty, majesty, your grace has found me just where I am empty-handed. But alive, Oh, I'm alive in your hands, but I'm living for myself. It's not, it needs to match up. Amen? Anyway, let's move on. Verse 5. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. You see, here we, we get this indication that missionaries were, you know, going forth and Gaius was looking after them and he was sending that. And the responsibility of the missionaries was not for the Gentiles, as it says at the end of verse 7. You know, taking nothing from the Gentiles, you know. We, we, it's Christians taking care of Christians. That was the expected responsibility. And so... From verse 5, you know, we get our third reference to Gaius being called beloved, and we continue to see his testimony. So, you know, if we're here thinking, well, mm, I really don't know how to give my life over to the gospel, over to the ministry, we're getting clues here. He, Gaius is faithful in serving. It's a servitude. Are we serving? Are we serving in the church? Are we serving one another? Are we serving our brothers and sisters? He's witness of love. I mean, are you demonstrating love towards one another? His willingness to practically, you know, invest and sow into other people's lives, even if it's financially. The fact that he was given to hospitality. You see, these are all hallmarks of a life given to the ministry. And as John, you know, receives these reports and he's just, he's just writing basically what he's heard. It just so blessed him. It blessed John. And it blessed him because in the ancient world, the gospel, as I said, it was just growing extremely fast. Itinerant preachers would travel, you know, back and forth from city to city. And they had to rely on the hospitality of the saints. And Gaius just has this wonderful testimony of, of just providing in this way. Being generous in this way. And what the apostle John wants to do is like, he's just saying, you've done this and you're doing this and that's great continue to do it you know the, the Bible does tell us that we we should not grow weary of doing good sometimes we get to a point where you feel like you may be giving 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 you don't get anything back and at that point there the Bible says don't grow weary don't grow weary maybe that's exactly what the Lord has called you to do. 
called you to be, someone who just gives all the time. You're not going to get much back, but you just give. I've called you to be a giver. And I don't necessarily mean giving financially, I mean giving of yourself, giving of your time, your prayers. Just being mindful of someone. Gaius was a giver. And so, you know, as we look at this, this short letter, this short epistle, there's so much that we can learn from the testimony of Gaius. And so, slightly moving the focus off of the Christ-centered Gaius, we now look at the next person that John addresses in this epistle, which, which is Diotrephes, or Diotrephes. And if I may, can we look at him as the self-centered Diotrephes? Verse 9 says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he has done, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, wish to putting them out of the church. So, this is a total contrast of Gaius now. Diotrephes, you know, he just has, he just wants to be the boss and he just loves being in control. You know, the verse kind of like gives the impression, it, it suggests that Diotrephes was perhaps empire building and he just wanted to run things. And he was not interested in listening to apostolic authority. The apostolic authority of John, who walked with the Lord. He was not interested in that. And so, John lists six damning things that characterize his behavior. It says he loved the preeminence. It says he did not receive John or his apostolic leadership. It says he prayed against the apostle and and leadership with malicious words. He did not receive the brethren, so there was no hospitality here. He forbade those who wished to see their brothers and sisters in Christ. So you can get this impression that there was kind of some form of controlling the flock, heavy shepherding going on. And it says that he put believers out of the church, and so basically it's off-key discipline. If you don't do what I want you to do, you're out. What a contrast. All horrible characteristics and, and just evidence of a life not given to true ministry, not given to the gospel. Destroying unity, flaunting authority and spreading lies. But as you read the letter, you see the interesting thing to me anyway is that just as John sort of like was willing to, 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 to expose heresy in his other two letters, here he doesn't call Diotrephes a heretic. And it's interesting to me because that gives me the impression that you know, John was in some way still trying to reach out to this guy. 
You see, it's a personal letter, but it would also have been a letter which would have been a secular letter. It would have been going out throughout the area, throughout the region, to the point that we're even reading it today. And so, knowing this, I believe that John expected Diotrephes to, to read this letter with the hope that he would see the error of his ways and that he would repent. Now, we don't have any evidence that he did repent, he did change his ways, but again, you see the heart of John. He, he wasn't going to allow Diotrephes' behavior to go unchallenged. Look, I have to address these things because they're wrong. But I'm not going to bludgeon you. I want to allow some room here, some space, so that, you know, there's, there's room to, to repent. There's room to allow the Lord to touch your heart, change your ways. Because geotrophies, they're wrong. It doesn't represent Christ's nature or his character. And so, whether he did or not, we do not know. But today, unfortunately, we still see similar attitudes within many churches where individuals or even families love the preeminence. They love to know this is our church. We run things here. This is our church. We don't do it like that. We do it like this. You see, he's talking about individuals in churches who, again, as I said, like the preeminence, and they don't like to keep it Bible. They want the Bible to say what they want it to say because it meets their needs. They don't want to submit to the authority of Scripture. They don't want to look at the canon of Scripture and know that that's right and I'm wrong. I need to measure up to, them, to the Word, not the Word, you know, justifying what I... We could get the Bible to say what we want at the end of the day. We can justify whatever we want at the end of the day. But we can't do that if we keep it 100 we can't do that if we keep it Bible. And so, you know, there's a danger in, you know, individuals or churches that are falling along this way that they start off so well and then end up getting on an ego trip. And we have to keep, we have to keep under the submission of Christ. We have to bring everything under the submission of Christ. The submission of his word. And, you know, there are churches, sadly, like that today. But away from this, you know, can I suggest that to one degree or another, you know, we could, we could all be like mini diotrophies. Can I just suggest that some of us have ego problems. Can I suggest that 
some of us just love having our own way. Now, it may not be evident when we're here in a gathering like this, but maybe if you're in a relationship, maybe you stamp your feet and you get your own way. And the thing is, like Diotrephes, if we're on our own trip, we love it when we get our own way. You know, we love it when, you know, we're on top or we get props. You know, look what I did. Aren't I so clever? What about the one where somebody um, has a really good idea, or somebody suggests, oh, did you hear what Sutton Sutton did? And you go, actually, that was my idea. (laughs) And that was me. It was you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you're so heavy. You know, we could all be mini geographies. Loving our own way, loving the preeminence, liking to be given the props all the time. You're just heavy. Look, oh, when you do that thing, ah, you're so good. And you know what? It's just an ego, isn't it? It's an ego boost. And it's nice to get an ego boost. But if that ego boost is giving you a swell head, Is that something somebody still says? Your head swell. No? All right, we'll move on. We'll carry on. Then it's not good. It's one of those things which we, again, we have to be careful of. You know? We're going to be boosting ourselves up against our brother or our sister. Oh, that was your idea. Yeah, it was my idea. Why are you boosting yourself up against your brother? Why just let it go? If they think it was somebody else's idea, just, just go. The Lord knows. You have to be boosting up yourself. But we love boosting up ourselves. I'm going to carry on with this a little bit more. We just love boosting up ourselves. <laughs> we love, ah, oh yeah, we run things, things that run we. Oh, I've got another one here. Sorry, I've got a few as well. You know, we, f- we think we're so cool as well. It's like, you know, if we're at work, we're like, I don't know, that manager, man, they're always doing things like this. I don't know why they do it like this. You know, it's like always running the manager or the person in, in, in authority over us. And the fact of the matter is, they're your manager. They're in authority over you. So if they want to do it their way, let them do it their way. But you think, oh, I could do it so much better. If I was in control... If I ran things, I would do it this way, not that way. See, mini diotrophies. And we've got to be careful. We need to push that thing down. No, that's flesh. You know, that's just evidence of the Adamic nature. Just trying to rear its head and say, remember me, I'm still here. The Adamic nature, we need to be careful. And you see, Diotrephes is just rooted in, in pride. You know, it's just pride at the end of the day. 
rooted in pride. But even though he was rooted in pride, as I said, you know, John didn't call him a heretic. And so, you know, if we've, we've all got tendencies in those areas, and it's for us to really, you know, leave them at the, the, the foot of the cross and allow Jesus just to do his surgery, do his work on us. And so, something to be challenged about again. Sorry. Um, yeah, and if, um, you know, if there's elements within ourselves, because we should be able to talk to each other in love, amen? I mean, if there's things, if there's things which are really horrible characteristics, and I mean, you have to be sensitive in how you would do this, but, you know, Galatians 6 does say, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, I know that's talking about being you see someone in sort of like evident sin and everything, but we should be able to talk to people, our brothers and sisters. It's a sensitive thing, but we should be able to help each other to cultivate iron sharpens iron. Because that's, that's true friendship, isn't it? Isn't it not? It's true friendship and relationship when we can actually have a positive opinion about, you know, we can have good critique about one another. So we have Diotrephes, who's this negative character, and it's, a, it's um, evidence of a life not given to, to gospel ministry, um, but one which could be cultivated. So after looking at Diotrephes, John now again refocuses on another correct attitude and characteristic. And he says... Diotrephes is doing all these negative and bad things. Beloved, do not imitate Diotrephes. You know, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. I mean, if there's anything else you can leave with today, leave with this. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Imitating, I mean, I'm not a very good imitator of voices or impressions or anything like that. But the only thing this really struck to me, struck with me, was going back to my childhood. I remember loving to watch Match of the Day on a Saturday night. And when I was a kid, it was like religious. I would watch Match of the Day on a Saturday night, and I just wanted to see these guys play football, score goals. And what I would do the next day is I would put my kit on run around the park, and I just wanted to do what I saw these guys do the night before. And so I would just, you know, Cruy- anybody old enough to know Jan Cruyff? Cruyff turn. Ooh! 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 With the ball, bending up people, and it's like, ooh! Thought I was good. You know, you see someone doing overhead kicking, you're thinking, yeah, I want to, I want to score a goal with an overhead, overhead. It's like every opportunity, you know. But what I'm saying is imitating, looking for the opportunity to imitate. That's what I was doing. And, and, and John's saying here, beloved, do not 
imitate what is evil, but what is good. So I'm saying, look for the opportunity to imitate Christ. Look for the opportunity to imitate what is good. Because we would all say, we would all agree that what is morally good is connected to God and God's will. Generally, morally good, yes. So what isn't morally good is not connected to God's will. So I want to do things which is connected to God's will. I want to imitate good things. So when we leave here today, you get cut up by the guy in your car and everything. It's not, but, 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 do you know who I am? No. It's God bless you. Thank you, Jesus, that my temperature gauge did not rise. And that I'm able to just let that one slide. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Silly example, but you get my meaning. Let's imitate that which is good. So simple, but yet so profound. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're all imitators to one degree or another. We're all imitators. The way you dress, you may be imitating someone. Our lovely worship team may be they're imitating a certain vocalist. The bass player, I love it. Oh, I love the way Nathan just gets down. <laughs> Maybe Nathan has someone who he just holds up there as a bass player and just says, yeah, I love to play like that person. We imitate people all the time. Maybe some of you out there, you guys, maybe you want to imitate the way you hear the, the message being delivered. You know, when I, when I get to teach, I want to teach like that. I want to use those words. I want to be like this. Maybe. We all imitate. And John is saying, well, you, you do it anyway, so imitate what is good. Take those good and wholesome and, and righteous and positive things and imitate those things. Amen? So imitation. Not, not imitation like imitation watches and all that. Don't, don't get imitation watches. Not good. So imitate what is good because anything outside of what is good is not of God. So he says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness. And you know that our testimony is true. You see, we've got these examples in scripture. So we really are without excuse. If we want to know, well, how do you do this Christian thing? Well, you've got an example of Demetrius here. He's got a good testimony. You know, others look at his life and say, you know what, that brother, he's a good brother. Others look at people, that's a good sister. You know, we can all confirm, yeah, they're good people. And so 
we have Gaius, we have Diotrephes, and we have Demetrius now, sort of like all contrasting. Well, Gaius and Demetrius contrasting Diotrephes. And Demetrius, you know, is, is considered to be the one who was delivering this message now. He's the courier. You know, he is believed to be, have been a missionary. And so, you know, when Paul looks at his life as well, a, you know, a brilliant recommendation, commendation. And he mentions these things which characterize, characterize his life, which was given to the ministry. The first is that John mentions him by name. You know, so that's a personal recommendation. He could have mentioned anyone, but he mentions Demetrius. So it just goes to show that, you know, John held him in high regard. We see he had a good testimony from all. So his brothers and his sisters, you know, had all had opportunity to observe his life, whether up close and personal or from a distance. And they all spoke well of him. And the third thing stems from the second. You know, because people were able to do that, his way of life just basically spoke for itself. It was given to Christ. And that's what we need to be working towards or living for, should I say. That our lives are actually given to Christ in everything we do. It isn't, you know, I have my Christian life over here and I have my other life over here. We are Christians. We live life. And so John, you know, he closes this, this third letter just as he did with the second letter. And again, it, it just, for me, it communicates his heart. It communicates, um, yeah, his heart, his love for the brethren. You know, his desire wasn't just to sort of like sign off and, his desire was, look, I want to come and, and share with you face to face. He says, I have many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly. You see, that was the heart of a 90-year-old man. You know, I want to see you face to face so that we can enjoy fellowship. A letter's good, but it's better if I could come and see you. It's better if we can just, you know, see each other face to face and high five, whatever it may be. It's better. And again, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we live in a world now where it's easier to, we don't write letters anymore. It's easier to send a text. I'm not going to be able to give you good examples because I don't do Facebook, I don't do Twitter, I don't do any of those things. But it's easier to send a text. And a text is really, it's impersonal, isn't it? You know, and sometimes a text, it could be saying, I'm saying it could be saying, I'm not saying it is saying, it could be saying, I really haven't got the time to talk to you right now, but here's a text. Hold that. Because what you say in a text, sometimes you could just pick up the phone and speak to the person, couldn't you, really? 
you could really just pick up the phone and speak to them. You don't really necessarily need to send a text. Same time you told a text, you could have just picked up the phone and just sent press. You don't even need to press Siri, phone such and such. <laughs> you could just phone them, couldn't you? But, you know, you, you could disagree with me, it's fine. I don't mind. But sometimes we put barriers in where instead of having that personal communication and connection with someone, we, we sort of like, we, 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 we sometimes digress from those things. We hide behind those things. That's why we have a generation now who they're, they're, they're in the global world, but they're still in their bedroom. They don't need to leave their bedroom, but they've got the whole world at their fingertips. We have, we have working environments where somebody has a portal there and a portal there, and they're sending, te- they're sending emails to each other. They're not talking. They're, they could be right next to each other, but... And sometimes there's a reason because they have to keep a, a, a written or some, some type of dialogue and everything. But you think, turn and talk. What's my point? My point is, is that we can do that. It's easier to just sort of like not make the effort to actually speak to someone. Go and visit someone. You know, and... You know, when somebody actually visits, it's so much nicer. It's so much more appreciated when, you know, you can actually be in fellowship with someone. You could chop up the word with each other. And I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there that sometimes we hide behind these things. I'm not saying we always do it. Sometimes we could do it. Um, you still my friends? Okay. You've got to love me anyway, in, in truth, because that's what John just said. <laughs> so, as the band, are, are the band still coming back? So, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. And I love this as well, because, you know, peace, you know, the Hebrew for peace, what is it? Shalom. The shalom of God. Peace to you. Peace to you. Our friends, you know what? They greet you as well. And as our friends greet you, you greet the friends by name. So it's not just saying, oh yeah, everyone, John says all right, yeah? It's like, Adam, John says all right, yeah? (laughs) Camille, John says all right. Sends his greeting by name. It's that personal. See, John still wants to be personal. He wants, who, he wants whoever's listening to this letter to have that belief that he's writing to them personally. He's greeting them personally. And it's a challenge for us all, amen? That we could just be a little bit more personal with each other a little bit more loving with each other, a little bit more caring with each other. Because, you know, that's the expectation. But we endeavor to do those things as we give our lives over to the ministry. And so as the band sort of like lead us out, you know, 
many questions I asked today, but if there were some practical things, some, you know, I'm not saying long-term goals. I'm not, we need to be practical. Short-term things which are achievable, which we could do in our own lives, which could give us that hint of, you know what, Lord? This will make my life a little bit more given over to you. You know what they are. I know what it is in my life. You know, we need to challenge each other in this way. We need to encourage each other in this way. A while ago, um, we encourage those who are at Calvary Chapel, South London, to have prayer partners. And that, that was something which kind of like forced people, in a sense, to be committed to prayer. So even if you didn't feel like it on a Monday night, if that was your given time, you knew that there was somebody else expecting to meet with you on a Monday night to pray. And that kind of like put good boundaries. It was like, I need to make that time because somebody else is expecting that of me. And so we need to get back to doing things like that. Having righteous expectations of each other. Necessary. You know, humbly and righteously holding each other to account and wanting the best for each other as well. You know, we're all in this race, this walk together. We need to encourage and help each other to reach the prize. And so, things to meditate as we, as we close. So, Father, truly we do. We thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that you give us mm, great examples, Lord, of, of saints who have gone before us, Lord. They've paved the way, given us that good example, Lord, of how we too can imitate their lives, Lord. Lord, help us to really seek your face, Lord, and find out exactly how, you know, we can develop and mature spiritually, Lord, to, to, to apprehend exactly what you have apprehended us for. That is our desire, Lord. That is our prayer. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that by your spirit, Lord, that you would do these things in our lives, that we wouldn't hinder you, we wouldn't put up barriers that we would give ourselves over to you, Lord, and we would give our, our lives over to the ministry of your gospel. So again, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that we are being changed from glory to glory, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you, ultimately, Lord, will receive all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. So continue to be blessed in our midst today, I pray in Jesus' name. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.